Hello and welcome to another week of Lighthouse Podcast. I'm Pastor Jeff Glenn. It's my pleasure to take you through the Word each week. And we are just finishing up from chapter 14 in Genesis, and we met this character named Melchizedek, and there is a lot of uh, curiosity about who he is, a lot of speculation also, uh, a couple of different opinions, and so we'll, we'll go through some of that today. Um, we're going to jump out of Genesis, and we're going to get into Hebrews, where we have a pretty big section um, of, for the writer of Hebrews describing this character, Melchizedek. So we'll read a little bit of that, um, and then jump into what there is to discover about Melchizedek from Hebrews. So we're in chapter 7, and starts off, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So this first part here, we see that, that this king of Salem, and, and most people are agreed that this is Jerusalem. And so this was actually on the other, on the eastern side of the Jordan from where uh, the, the battle with Abraham and Chedorlaomer and rescuing Lot and all of that took place. So it's interesting that as Abram's returning from all of that battle, this is when he meets the king of, of peace, the, the king of, of Salem here. So, so it's clear that, that, that this king of peace, this Melchizedek, came to meet Abram, which I think is very interesting. Um, so then we see here also that we know from Genesis 14, 18 that he was called the priest of the Most High God. And we see the same language here when he's called the King of Salem, and then in verse 2, the King of Righteousness, and then later, the King of Peace. So here, here we have a joining of king and priest in one person, which is also very interesting. We see that, that we know that a king is someone who rules over a particular people, and a priest, uh, we don't have to look very far, but into Hebrews chapter 8 to see what a priest is, and we see that in verse 3 when it says, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, therefore it is necessary that one also have something to offer, and we'll touch on that in a minute. So a priest, we can say, is one who goes to God on people's behalf, um, intercessing, offering gifts and sacrifices uh, necessary so that the people can approach God in, in a proper manner. And so, uh, verse. So then we, so we see this in the same person of uh, Melchizedek, and um, so those who are on the side of Melchizedek just being another person rather than a theophany or a Christophany um, would point to this verse and they would say, well, here's, here's what it's saying is that without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. And so the Son of God we know is Jesus for sure. And so it, it is this um, point here that people might point to. Um, what I think is interesting here is, is I think the point that the writer of Hebrews is trying to make is about the priesthood and its office. And it says here in the, in the end, remains a priest continually. So it's this idea that this 
priesthood that Melchizedek is a part of is an eternal priesthood. And we also know that this predates the law, predates Moses, predates Aaron. And the writer of Hebrews even goes on to say that. And that's the main point here of um, comparing and contrasting this office um, of priesthood that Melchizedek is a part of and the office of priest that Aaron is a part of. They're, they're different uh, priesthoods, and the writer of Hebrews is saying that the Melchizedek priesthood is superior, and it's actually like a first-order priesthood if you're going to rank them. And then he goes on here to say that um, that even Levi received tithes and paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. And then we pick it up in verse 11. Therefore, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there's also a change of the law. So it gives us this hint here that, that when uh, this priesthood was given through the Levitical law, to Aaron and, and that priesthood line, that, that it was changed because of the addition of law. So that priesthood came with the law. And so um, we also see here um, this, this connection with uh, Jesus and this Melchizedek priesthood. This, and I think sometimes confuse that. It's not Melchizedek's priesthood. It's the priesthood that Melchizedek is a part of, right? So this priesthood that Melchizedek is a part of is this eternal priesthood that our Lord is also a part of. We pick this up in uh, verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke of, nothing concerning priesthood, and it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who, is not, who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. So again, connecting the priesthood that Melchizedek is a part of to, to this eternal priesthood. And picking it up in verse 17, for he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And uh, he continues in verse 18 with his for there, on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law had made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the beginning in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And so again, equating and actually revealing the, the law's weakness because it's unprofitable. It, it, it was never given to save, and it, and it certainly can't. So if, even though there are people who are living according to that today, um, we again, this this law was never meant to save. And so um, that's why this Melchizedek priesthood was important to to be revived. so we 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 move on to Jesus as the representation of that for us, this eternal priesthood in verses twenty two through twenty seven. And it says here, uh, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. So this covenant in his blood is better than this Levitical covenant with the law. It says here it's a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he 
because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. And so what he's basically saying is all those Aaronic priest holders, they've passed. They're, they're dead. They're not able to continue their, their priestly work. And so it can't be connected to the person, to the human, um, because they're prevented from doing their priestly work from their death. And then it talks about Jesus again in verse 24. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable, uh, sorry, an unchangeable priesthood. So we have this eternal, unchangeable priesthood that, that is Jesus' priesthood. Um, and this is verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save, and I underline this in my Bible because I think it's so great, he's able to save to the uttermost. And so what that means is you can stack your your sins and trespasses and enmity with God as high as you want to, but he's able to, to save beyond that to the uttermost. And I just, I just love that. Um, and it says here, he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. So if we come to, to God through Jesus, and so Jesus' priesthood is making a way for us to be able to approach God in a worthy and acceptable and righteous manner. And um, it also continues, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus is continuing to make intercession, keeping this pathway for us to come to God open. Um, and again, it, we talk about Jesus' supremacy and his perfection and his holiness. We see this in verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. And so all those earthly priests under Aaron um, had to first, before they went into the temple, to offer up their gifts and sacrifices to God for the people. They first had to sacrifice for themselves and make atonement for their, themselves and their own sin. Um, Jesus, however, did not need to do that. He lived that sinless, perfect life that we couldn't. And so therefore, his sacrifice was, was pure. And um, when he made the sacrifice for the people so that we could have a clear path to God, he did that once for all, for all who come to God through Jesus. That pathway is open and he only needed to do it once, so that's a very important. Some people think that, that there's this, this continual need um, to, to lift Jesus up or to, um, in some way, go through all of those rituals and um, rites and sacrifices to get back to a right relationship with God. What we're told here is, no, Jesus did that once for all. I think that's great. Um, and it says here, for the law appoints us as high priests, men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath, which comes after the law, appoints the Son, who has been perfected forever. And so we skip down here uh, to this last point here, where in verse um, 3 of chapter 8 it says, For every high priest has appointed to both offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary for this one also to have something to offer. And so what does this one have to offer? And we've talked about that already. What does Jesus have to offer? And it's, and it's his righteousness for our sin and transgression and rebellion, right? It's his perfectly living 
according to, to the law and to the prophets and living that righteous life and then trading that righteousness for our sin and transgression, this rebellion, this putting an end to the enmity that was between God and man, the crushing of the head of the serpent, all of that is what's being talked about here. This is what Jesus has to offer, a clear path to God through him. And so, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Until we uh, see you again, stay encouraged and stay in the Word.